I'm Professor Paul Kelly and I'm a pro-director of the school and it is my honour and great pleasure to welcome our distinguished speaker, Sergio Mattarella, President of the Republic of Italy, to this European Institute lecture. The President, as you will know, was born in Palermo in 1941. He was a distinguished lawyer and academic before being elected to Parliament for the Christian Democrat Party for Western Sicily constituency. He remained in the Chamber of Deputies until 2008. He served as a Minister for Relations with Parliament and then subsequently Minister for Education. And in 1998, he became Deputy Prime Minister, then becoming Minister of Defence. In 2011, he was elected a constitutional judge by Parliament and was sworn in as a member of the Constitutional Court. And in January 2015, he was elected the 12th President of the Republic. It is a great honour for the school to host this event and for the European Institute that has organised it. LSE is very proud of its large number of Italian students and distinguished Italian faculty, all of whom play an important part in the life of the school and have done so for many years. Similarly, for the school and for the European Institute, it is a great pleasure to have the President here, as Italy is one of the original six members of the European community, and we wait with interest Italy's perspective on the contemporary European project with all its challenges with a very keen interest. Following the President's address, there will be a brief question and answer session moderated by my colleague, Professor Maurice Fraser, and for those of you for whom these things matter, the Twitter hashtag for this event is hash LSE Italy. So without more ado, join with me in welcoming to the podium President of the Republic of Italy. I'm particularly grateful for the invitation that uh, uh, has been extended to me by the London School of Economics. I'm truly honoured to have been invited to speak, given the prestigious uh, history of this uh, great academic institution, and given the value of the many debates uh, that uh, have originated here, and that have oftentimes uh, contributed to bettering our world. I speak to you today as president of one of the founding fathers of the European design, which was launched on the 18th of April 1951 with the signing of the treaty establishing the coal and steel community. This European design, over the years, has benefited from the contribution of many and certainly of the precious contribution made by many British citizens, starting with Winston Churchill, who, with his 
address at the University of Zurich in 1946 inspired the cause of the United States of Europe. A project, a design, that of the European Union, that cannot as yet be considered as having been fully completed. And, indeed, in many ways, if viewed from the outside, is seen as a work in progress. Today, I would like to illustrate our vision of Europe and of its future. Obviously, we fully respect different opinions. Our view is in the tradition of uh, a Europeanist sentiment, which over the last 60 years has continued to be at the core of Italy's political debate and international action. The spirit is not weakened over these years. However uh, troubled they may have been, years during which Europe has had to tackle persistent problems, including an economic crisis, uh, which uh, um, only now, albeit slowly, appears to uh, be gradually uh, overcome. Lasting financial difficulties and attrition in uh, uh, the management of the uh, single currency, the immigration emergency with the appalling tragedies of the last few years and the problem of um, security along our borders uh, represent challenges for the countries of the Union and their citizens. To this, uh, we must add a sense of latent mistrust on the part of European public opinion vis-à-vis European uh, uh, Union institutions that are all too often seen as remote and excessively uh, focused on bureaucratic liturgies, uh, which uh, most people uh, find incomprehensible. The uh, disorientation uh, perceived over these years, even in uh, uh, milieus that have traditionally been Europeanist, is um, without precedent, uh, with the, the possible exception of what we witnessed in 1954, in the aftermath of the failure of the European defence com community, that is uh, the only other time when uh, the atmosphere was similar to the one we see today. And then Jean Monnet revived the European vision, and he, in his uh, memoirs, uh, wrote, and I quote, many believed that this was a cataclysm, but... Although I was extremely disappointed, I did not believe I, that the end of the EDC um, project uh, meant the end of Europe. Once again, I had to explain to my friends that there are no defeats other than the ones you accept. As we know, the founding fathers did not accept uh, that uh, defeat, and with the Messina conference, uh, the Common European Project uh, was revived. There are two points that need to be Stressed in those years, the memory of the two world wars, the consequences of which still permeated uh, Europe's civil conscience uh, and affected the very lives of the uh, peoples in the continent, uh, represented uh, a basic uh, um, issue for public opinion and for uh, leaders. Secondly, the external pressure exercised by the consolidated uh, uh, bipolar uh, mm, 
con conflict between uh, um, various uh, regions of the world uh, almost naturally led uh, European countries to remain united. The process of integration has developed on the basis of a virtuous uh, process, uh, which, uh, starting with uh, the intuition of the founding fathers uh, and uh, unavoidable geopolitical needs, as well as the widespread support of public opinion, led the Union uh, to uh, deal with a growing range of issues, attracting almost all of the countries in the continent. Uh, strengthening of the single market, which is something the United Kingdom has traditionally um, believed uh, as being essential, is uh, one of the uh, results of these dynamics and the efforts made to ensure that there is a deeper integration in this sector. And this is one of the truly historic uh, legacies of the British uh, participation in the history of the Union, a free movement of uh, people, of uh, goods and uh, capital increases the possibilities uh, for European citizens to choose where to live, work and study in a place where they can better um, bring to fruition um, their skills for the future of uh, each individual and our civil societies. And uh, underlying this uh, degree of economic integration, progressively we have um, seen um, the evolution of the concept of uh, monetary union among certain member countries and in this case too as was true of the free movement of uh, people um, this was achieved uh, respecting uh, um, the sensitivity of all states ensuring that those who were not ready to join or did not wish to do so um, had the possibility of abstaining from uh, joining the union and uh, this brings us to the current state of evolution. The union can uh, indeed be defined uh, as uh, work in progress, as unfinished business. Uh, there is the wish to forge ahead, but uh, as we know, geopolitical crises for the first time since the end of the Cold War are knocking at our uh, doors, at our borders, um, south and east. Today, Consequently, we are in the face, uh, in the face of uh, fresh challenges and it would appear to be inappropriate and almost childish to flee and turn back. Global challenges uh, demand uh, equally global uh, responses and uh, uh, rich history is not enough uh, given uh, the uh, challenge that it arises from um, growing uh, economic and political giants uh, emerging at a global level. We know that only greater integration can enable European countries to be up to this challenge. The question to be asked is quite simple. How can we uh, adequately respond to uh, these uh, uh, challenges in the interest of Europeans? The answer, as is often the case, uh, is less obvious. I will try and illustrate a possible answer through a rapid overview of uh, recent events in the course of these last few years. Let's start from the financial crisis. And if we um, analyse it carefully, it was an opportunity to strengthen the Union, for instance, through the creation of the European Stability Mechanism, thanks to which we're now better equipped to respond to market shocks, uh, particularly when it comes to public debt and we've also seen a number of uh, um, new instruments such as the single uh, resolution mechanism and the development of uh, mechanisms on uh, um, capitalism, uh, capitalization of the main credit institutes uh, and uh, exposure. This has uh, strengthened the European banking system. The European Central Bank has gradually uh, taken on greater um, standing and authoritativeness so that many questioned before the crisis the 
difficult, uh, albeit necessary, uh, dialectics between uh, budgetary discipline and growth has lastly given rise uh, on the part of the Commission to an interpretation of regulations that represents a concrete answer to overcome this problem. So I trust that on the basis of what has been built, um, even the difficulties of Greece that other countries have experienced uh, will be successfully overcome. However, these are all uh, answers, the ones I have just mentioned, that stem from the need to address emergency situations. Today, when uh, the recollection of the risks we've run and the mistakes made is still vivid, we need to consolidate what we have built. Hence, uh, aiming for the objective that underpins the adoption of the single currency, i.e. that of progressive uh, political union. The exercise launched by uh, President Juncker together with the um, presidents of the European Council, the ECB and the Eurogroup, of a new uh, relationship that can identify the next uh, steps uh, that are required in order to ensure greater uh, stability in the governance of the euro area. Uh, is reversible uh, choice of the single currency aims precisely to attain this objective, and this is a very ambitious goal that Eurozone countries cannot forego. Therefore, this is uh, an exercise that uh, we are attempting to provide uh, um, our input uh, in terms of ideas not just because of the importance of this issue, but also because this enables us to underscore a crucial aspect, i.e. the vision of the single currency as an important step towards the achievement of a stronger and more credible union. The principle of the crisis as an engine of development is relevant not only in an economic and financial context, but also in the management of the migration crisis. Um, an uh, unprecedented emergency in terms of the extent of this phenomenon and its uh, uh, tragic uh, repercussions. And only now Europe is beginning to develop a common policy. We need to um, examine the underlying reasons of uh, uh, phenomena such as this uh, that appears to be uh, without precedent with the exception of the situation uh, that uh, arose uh, um, immediately uh, after the end of the Second World War with the, um, an exodus of peoples uh, that uh, were um, led uh, to uh, move uh, and leave, let's say, their um, areas of origin following processes of independence. So it is only thus that uh, the different uh, policies and approaches that are to be implemented can be uh, sufficiently um, forward-looking. And what is at stake in the crisis that we are witnessing in terms of migration? Well, there is uh, um, much to be said about uh, what uh, the current debate uh, focuses on and what it fails to examine. First of all, we we are um, faced uh, with uh, um, the need to uh, safeguard our values, those values that uh, have enabled us uh, to live almost 60 years in peace, freedom, democracy and social economic development, uh, values that many of these migrants uh, have never enjoyed. So uh, the policy of reception uh, is a sort of mirror in which uh, we can uh, see the reflection of our values if they still, as I believe, firmly represent 
represent uh, the cornerstone of our societies. Y Europe is an ideal. It is a value system based uh, on uh, peace amongst nations, freedom and uh, full respect for citizens' rights. And... Um, being uh, uh, driven by these values uh, is what makes Europe so attractive for all those who flee their countries, uh, victims of war, uh, victims of ethnic and religious persecutions, of drought and underdevelopment. And this, uh, and famine, this is what uh, makes a difference. Um, um, rule of law has led uh, the European continent to become the greatest uh, democratic area ever and uh, we know that uh, it can propagate to surrounding countries uh, the um, wish to achieve these uh, standards and uh, this is certainly a more effective model uh, um, than the um, temptations to export this model with uh, military intervention. The um, migration crisis also leads us to um, address other issues such as the inability to um, successfully tackle the many problems that affect uh, distant peoples and distant countries uh, who await our ability to provide consistent uh, responses and it is in the Mediterranean area that uh, we see uh, threats emerging that can jeopardise our stability. These threats require that Europe speak with one voice in the face of these challenges. Italy has uh, found the um, energy to um, develop the Mare Nostrum um, rescue operation to save human lives and we know this occurred at the aftermath of the uh, appalling tragedy which occurred uh, um, in Lampedusa in October 2013 at the same time during the Italian uh, presidency of the Council of the European Union. We fostered the adoption of a common strategy in the area of migration uh, which was characterised by dialogue and cooperation with countries of origin and transit uh, of migration and strengthening uh, maritime patrolling and we know that this also involved the completion of the uh, common European asylum system. The, uh, the uh, claim that uh, Mare Nostrum was financially unsustainable and the groundless uh, uh, criticism that was uh, um, made by our European partners as to the um, purported pull effect uh, that this operation could have in fact led to the end of Mare Nostrum and then at the same time the uh, European mission Triton was launched uh, and after an increase in the flow of migrants and after further tra tragedies and many hundred, uh, uh, hundreds of lives lost it will be able to now enjoy uh, availability of more resources that can uh, be better suited to meeting the uh, targets uh, that it has set out to attain. Uh, Triton, in, uh, however, uh, concrete the European commitment towards it may be from the management of the Mediterranean uh, borders is a tangible uh, um, proof of the fact that an emergency response is not enough. Uh, we need long-term decisions indicating the uh, approach that is to uh, be pursued uh, and strengthening, for instance, cooperation with countries of origin and transit. The Council of Europe's uh, decision in um, meeting in April and the decision on the part of the Commission to develop a European migration agenda is an important step forward. The um, strategy in Europe is often a, synon a synonym of a rediscovery of those values that are at the heart of the history of uh, European integration and solidarity. And we're now finally moving from uh, emergency responses to a strategic vision, a long-term approach. Uh, solidarity 
is what uh, these populations require. And uh, we know that they are seeking a better life and, um, and look at look to Europe as uh, um, as the uh, centre of solidarity and democracy. We are only sorry that, uh, that the European system has um, um, begun to operate uh, uh, too late to save uh, many uh, lives. Uh, the loss of these lives was necessary to awaken our collective uh, conscience. Some steps have been made in the last few weeks, so we hope that these will lead to concrete, uh, effective uh, regulations in order to guarantee that European uh, reception policies have the necessary long-term view. It is only if we balance between uh, very short-term initiatives and longer-term programmes that the European Union will be able to be up to the challenge of a phenomenon such as migration, which, uh, as uh, we've seen other times of humanity could um, really reach uh, uh, epical uh, dimensions and a political and uh, a fundamental foreign policy of the Union is important uh, um, in uh, this uh, juncture. The European Union must uh, enhance uh, and pursue initiatives of stabilisation and peace in Africa and Middle East, promoting development in these areas. This is the essential uh, um, requisite. This is another aspect of European integration. of a shared security and foreign policy. Let me quote Aldo Moro here. No one should be called to choose between being in Europe and being in the Mediterranean because the whole of Europe is in the Mediterranean and that applies to the Atlantic as well. This is a fundamental aspect that the European Union is working very hard to advance on. The threats that we have seen over the past few months terrorism and instability coming from the south and the ongoing Ukraine crisis have led us to recall moments of our own history in which deep-rooted forces that promoted our own progressive integration came from external pressures. Today, we find ourselves, particularly when it comes to Mediterranean, to work in a profoundly unstable scenario. And we cannot overcome this if we do not do it through shared common actions. The possible links between Islamist terrorism in sub-Saharan Africa and widespread instability in the Middle East is a far-ranging and highly concerning crisis that needs our full shared commitment in terms of foreign policy, in terms of security and defence. We cannot imagine that stabilising whole countries such as Libya and the contribution that we must make in order to bring peace to Iraq and Syria can possibly succeed if we do not act through a shared, univocal, credible European voice. And here, let me say with clearness that we need a strong and incisive foreign and security policy with institutions that are politically able to bring together interests of member states and those of the EU as a whole. Italy has always been among those countries most active in promoting foreign and security policy at European level and in promoting the idea of a new European defence. That is our commitment when it comes to the forthcoming European Council in June. We wish to continue along those lines and any idea of achieving 
security and defence policy and making this all the more effective needs to be done not through ideology but rather through pragmatism and a gradual approach in order to obtain the convict convictions and the consensus of all. Member states have a diminishing, diminishing defence expenditure at the moment. And in this context, the only solution we have is to leave behind the old paradigm of defence of only national defences so that we can move gradually but irreversibly towards coordinated defence systems. Only in this way can we best utilise the resources available to us in the defence sector and in so doing become a continent that can fully guarantee security. Financial crises, immigration, foreign policy and defence. What I have tried to outline here are themes that show how single visions in the short term are not enough unto themselves. They can only be enough if we start to build a coherent vision in the long term, a vision of progressive integration. And in other words, what we need is more Europe. However, we need to avoid the tendency that so often tends to dominate in any debate on the future of the European Union, namely the tendency to look at any possible developments when it comes to returns and benefits at a national level. Rather, we need to look beyond this. I think this is a restrictive vision, I must say. I believe that what is convenient today must be something that is also in the interest in the long term when there are different policies and economic principles at stake. This traditional contrast between intergovernmental policy and any community-mindedness has shown its limitations. The concept of greater integration or more Europe belongs to an entirely different category, namely that of strategic irreversible choices in which brave decisions today constitute advantageous investments for the future. Undoubtedly, in order for this approach to be effective, it needs to be broken down and adapted to the various requirements and situations that we find within the EU. We have the Eurozone on the one hand with its need to rebalance and on the other hand we have a group of countries that have cho chosen different forms of integration in certain sectors. The European Union need to look, needs to look respectively, respectfully and understandingly at the requirements of each and every member states. But nothing can block future integration. This is a future necessity. Countries that are members of the Eurozone, for example, have shown that they are not in any way uh, safe from any crises in the single currency. President Draghi rightly pointed out on this matter that this is not commensurate with the long-term requirements connected to belonging to any monetary union. And he suggested the transition from common rules to common institutions. On the other hand, there are some aspects that come uh, to light with non-Eurozone countries when we look at services that we need to take on board. We need streamlining of bureaucracy. 
within the European Union. We cannot ignore this, but rather make it the subject of in-depth debate. It must inform our political choices. As we know, the EU's motto is united in diversity. And someone very wisely added that European Europe is, by definition, the sum total of its different minorities. So these differences need to be preserved, they need to be embraced and used to enrich the EU's initiatives. Europe isn't one uniform place, and neither should it be monodimensional, neither should it marginalise the rich nature of its historic diversity. By its very nature, Europe is against any single line of thought. Its own capacity for integration, for difference, is a positive force in the global world. And it is with this in mind that we need to find renewed forces and beliefs in our ambitious aims with a more effective and rapid European Union that can make more democratic choices and that can respect principles of subsidiarity and proportionality but continue at the same time to move towards ever-increasing cohesion. Any experiences that were limited to simply an area of free trade have already shown, and in the recent past also, all their fragility. When Italy was once again free and democratic, de Gasperi said, in order to resist, it is necessary to go back to unifying and constructive forces throughout Europe. Against any force of ir against any advancement of irrational forces, we need to make supreme call to our united civilization. We need to build that solidarity and that is what has built the freedom and justice of our world. I believe that we must all have that same courage today. Thank you very much. President, thank you very much for such a, a rich address. Thank you for the, in particular, for the, the candid and uh, rousing um, account which you offered of the challenges facing Europe right now, not least on its own, on its own doorstep to the south and to the southeast um, of Europe. And thank you also for, for painting European values on such a, on such a broad canvas, values of, of democracy and of solidarity, and you really helped us to see the big, uh, the, big, the big picture. So we have a little bit of time now, if we may, to put a few uh, questions to you, but only not as much time as we may, may have liked. It was so um, so um, intense is the President's uh, schedule. But if I may, just kick off um, the f um, a few questions. Um, Mr. President, as you well know, Italy, well, as you have said, Italy has been right at the forefront of European construction um, since the EU's beginnings, uh, since the coal and steel community, in fact. And Italy is also a, a key member of NATO and a loyal 
uh, ally of the United States. Now, um, given the threats and challenges uh, facing the world right now, isn't it time for the West to reaffirm its self-belief and its values? Well, of course, this is an extremely uh, relevant point given the current situation. There is no denying that we're faced with new dangers and new challenges compared to the past. In 1989, we wrongly imagined that uh, uh, we could look forward to a period of... Uh, uh, peace and lack of tensions. That is not the case. Um, there are different, uh, um, if you will, more complex uh, of dangers that uh, we are called to respond to. And in order to do this, as you very wisely pointed out, uh, we have to uh, look to those values that uh, Western democracies have uh, um, sought to uphold for their sake and uh, for uh, the sake of uh, other countries as well. I have tried to mention um, solidarity, the ability to be inclusive and to understand the problems of uh, uh, countries uh, um, faced with uh, various difficulties. We must also believe in... Uh, um, disseminating the notion of uh, safeguarding human rights, uh, of uh, uh, the worthwhile model of uh, uh, freedom. I think it's a case of uh, um, teaching by example and uh, launching persuasive messages uh, that are likely to be um, accepted by peoples in various parts of the world uh, not necessarily accustomed to these principles, we must make them understand that these models uh, can make for better um, conditions for all. And that is why I said that when it comes to migration, uh, the role that uh, Europe uh, um, must play is fundamental. Um, in the short term, of course, Europe has to rescue uh, migrants, but uh, uh, must also be prepared to welcome those who are fleeing uh, uh, from um, unbearable conditions. We also know that uh, uh, we have to look to the countries of origin and, and in order to prevent uh, the onset of even more far-reaching and unmanageable migration phenomena in the future that Europe would find it impossible to manage if Europe is prepared prepared to commit to providing assistance and aid to struggling countries, um, explaining to its uh, own um, people that this is not just uh, uh, the right thing to do, but it's also convenient for Europe. But, um, sh we can make sure that uh, people understand that democratic values uh, and uh, values of freedom are to be upheld by all. Thank you very much, Mr. President. Now, time for just... Um Two, three, four questions. Please keep them short and sweet. Indicate if you'd like to ask a question um, and, um, uh, and say who you are, your affiliation, and just wait for the roving mic uh, to, be, uh, to be brought round, please. So if you'd like to uh, indicate, if you'd like to ask a question, um, that would be um, lady up. The top has caught my eye in the front row. Um, Marta, LSE. Um, President Mattarella, you spoke a lot about integration. 
but Europe is also about enlargement. What can you say about perspectives for the countries that are waiting to become future, future member states? And do you think that it is actually wise for Europe to let more countries in when it is having trouble keeping the one it, it has? Thank you. That's a very interesting, very pertinent question. Highly relevant question also. Undoubtedly, the tumultuous enlargement of the EU in its recent past has created some problems. When we think of the governance model that had been introduced for a smaller number of countries at its origin. But here too, I think we need to remember the importance of looking far into the future, of foresight. The crisis that we have undergone has slowed down accession processes in other countries. It has made it more difficult to bring these accession processes to fruition. But undoubtedly, there are countries waiting for Europe's answer. By way of example, I'm thinking of the Balkan states. There are various countries in that area that are EU member states. There are other countries that have requested entry and are under negotiation. I think that the EU must, of course, carefully check, rigorously make sure that any country is meeting the regulatory requirements and EU standards. Having said that, I do also think that the EU needs to give these countries a positive answer, not one of immediate entry, but one of a process that will develop, a process of possible entry in the future. Here too, We have the solution of foresight. We have acted in the Balkan countries some years ago. I'm thinking here of the violent crisis that was affecting the region. And it is a region that has found renewed st stability, all things considered. The EU can guarantee that stability, and that is important for the EU itself. So I am not saying that we should immediately allow accession for various countries, but I do believe that we must seriously encourage negotiation processes so that these countries can envisage the concrete possibility of entering the EU when they meet the necessary requirements to do so. Yes, I think I shall move downstairs now to look for a, for a question. Anyone like to um, put, a, put a question? Um, I think the gentleman in the middle must be rewarded for his tenacity. <laughs> uh, good, good evening, uh, Mr. President. You mentioned Jean Monnet, and as we know, Jean Monnet believed in the need for an initial economic federation 
in which uh, every country would preserve uh, autonomy and decision-making powers and um, the idea that was that this uh, setup could be modified in the future. And this uh, uh, was in contrast uh, with Altiero Spinelli's position. He believed uh, that uh, um, unification uh, could uh, only occur with the introduction of uh, a well-defined strong central uh, federation of power, a common uh, um, army to defend uh, um, the area from internal and external conflict uh, and do you think that given the current uh, European crisis uh, Spinelli's suggestion deserves to be uh, once again uh, taken into consideration? My answer is absolutely yes. I know of course that um, this um, answer of mine and opinion is not necessarily shared by all in the European Union, uh, given the fact uh, that, uh, as we know, there are differences between those who believe that this is a useful framework for cooperation uh, um, among states uh, and those who believe that this is a process uh, that uh, uh, will eventually lead to uh, closer integration. This is a very uh, relevant debate indeed. I believe that the second uh, um, approach is uh, correct and this is what Italy has uh, always pursued also given the fact that I believe that in um, the future Europe can be a, a leading uh, global player only if it is united uh, and this is what we've seen in the past given the fact that there are emerging uh, um, players uh, in, on the global scenario. I believe that uh, the intelligence, the wisdom of European countries will uh, lead uh, Europe to understand that Spinelli was right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately due to the um, President's schedule, I do need to bring this session to a close. I do realise there are plenty of questioners out there who wanted to join in the conversation. Can I thank you for coming and for being part of this event? And can I request that you stay in your seat until the President and his party have left the room? And with that, can I ask you to join with me in thanking the President for his lecture today?